The Bob Marshall Wilderness Complex is over a million acres in northwest Montana. So many people like to traipse through the Bob, and today we're going to be talking about the Bob from one end to the other with Morgan Ray, our library director. All that and more coming right up on the FBCC Nature Journal. Hi, and welcome to the FECC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We're coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is Colin Burkhardt, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. We all love nature here, and we know you're joining us because you do too. And we're going to do something a little different today and our next episode as well. And our library director, Morgan Ray, who is actually a, a pretty big aficionado of outdoor hiking and so on, is going to take over as host, and she's going to talk with me about my new book, My Wilderness Life. Morgan, thanks a lot for coming on and doing this today. Thanks, John. I'm really excited to be able to join you guys today. First off, I just want to say I really enjoyed reading the new book that came out just a few weeks ago, correct? That's right. And this is your fifth book? Yep. And this book takes a little bit of a different turn because it actually is more of your memoirs and your adventures across the Bob Marshall. So can you explain a little bit about what your writing process was like for this book? Sure. Well, the other books I pretty much interviewed and, re- and uh, looked up different historical information on different characters in the Bob. And I did that in, in Glacier Park, too. And I did four books that way. And this one... I'm just trying to kind of put my, my, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess my, my brand to it. I bring my own experiences in, but yet still talk about it. And let me, let me just mention first the, the, the whole thing about memory. So memory, which I've noticed since this goes back 50 years, because I'm old enough to have gone into the Bob <laughs> in 1972. It was my first time in the Bob. And memory is a crazy thing, and I wanted to mention it. I've been reading a lot about the science of memory, and when you say a memoir, this is an adventure memoir, but when you say a memoir just by the, the word itself, it's, it may not be exactly what happened. It's what you remember happened. And I noticed when I was writing this, and I'd go back and talk to some of my compatriots that are in this book, mm-hmm. and they would remember it a little different than I did. You know, I would remember a herd of elk we came up upon, and they wouldn't have any memory of it all. And then they would remember a cabin we saw and tried to get some corned beef out of <laughs> on the shelf. And I didn't remember doing that. So it, you sort of remember different things. So this, this book is a, a collection of stories. And to the best of my knowledge, they're, they're true. So that, let's, let's get that out of the way first. And then my writing process that you mentioned was um, what I, I really believe in the Stephen King model of writing, whereas you do something every day on your book or your writing project, every day, no matter what, whether you write a thousand words or you spend two hours on it or you do at least some research. Because if you don't, it's too imposing to try to do it. I mean, you figure this is uh, what, nine, almost 90,000 words. And so unless you get a process going, you're never going to, you feel like you're never going to finish it. And actually, it took me three years to do it. So as far as my writing process, that's how I'd answer that. And, you know, I'm drawing from my memories in the Bob and just my feel for the Bob, which we'll get, all get into. So you mentioned memory, and there's a lot that you recount here. How was this fact-finding in the places where you did pull numbers, whether that was in different counts or 
treks that you made, how did you pull back to some of those memories and ensure that your trail was what you remembered? Yeah, well, you make a really good point. When I was doing that, there's, there's a part of the book where it uh, brings alive my, my biological work back there over the last half century. And in that way, it was... I was kind of cheating in a way because I had my I had my <laughs> journals and all the measurements of the fish. I had the where we took uh, genetic samples. I had our fur bear roots and how many wolverine I saw that day, and with all my other compatriots and so on. And so in that way, if if you're ever thinking about writing a book, make sure you do a journal. See, I I didn't really do it. I my my specifics that you mentioned they were from actual biological studies I was doing back there, so I had to write them down. And they became really, really invaluable to uh, writing the book. I guess, John, this book, as we've talked about, is very different than your your other ones. You mentioned that this is pulled together from some of your best, worst, most challenging, and fun times in the big open of wilderness. What is your favorite chapter or story in the book? And I want to caveat that with some of these are very emotional chapters, and so... I, as a reader, really enjoyed moving through a, a very varied reading process. Well, as you mentioned, there's a fair amount of emotion in this, and we'll be getting into that more in our next episode when we talk more detail about the chapters. But the overall theme of the book is when I was going to the University of Montana at age 18 in 1972, and then in 1973 going into the Bob, I had a good friend named Terry McCoy, and he and some of the other of us that lived in the Elrod dorm we went out in the wilderness together, and you know, back then, the Great Bear Wilderness was still six years away from being designated, so it didn't get designated until '78. So we would go into these areas, and they may have been not been called the wilderness; it may have been called the, like the Idaho Primitive Area. Mm-hmm. It's now the Frank Church of No Return Wilderness. And so, anyway, Terry and I did quite a bit together, and we had this, you know, the spiritual side of this is, and and people say you don't really believe this, do you, John? When I talk about it, but I was on a hike with a, another friend in late September of 1973, and I came around and back to Upper Holland Lake. Now, I don't know if you've been to Upper Holland, but you've been to a number of places in the Bob, and there was a, I ran into this old ranger who purported himself to be a ranger, and he said he was staying in a cabin up there, and, you know, sort of keeping watch of Upper Holland Lake, and so I told him, I said, oh, gee, I saw an elk over that divide. I wish it was hunting season, and he said, well, it is hunting season, but you didn't, you didn't know that, but it is. It's the backcountry elk season. And let me tell you where to go. He said, you go down south to, and then I won't mention the pass because the outfitter probably won't like it if I do. <laughs> but you go down there, and there's a lake, and there's a pass, and, and try that because you only have to pack your elk out about four miles if you get one there. This is a lot longer pack here, you know. So, of course, went back to University of Montana, and, and my friend Terry, and I said, let's go hunting next weekend. And I got this place that this guy told me about. Well, Ever after that, I kept trying to figure out who that ranger could be, and it was very mysterious because there was no ranger stationed up there. There was a little old way snowshoe cabin that was un- uninhabitable, but he had told me he was staying up there. And, and so I always wondered, is that a spirit whispering in my ear? <laughs> so the next weekend, we went up to that pass and lake, and we, we hiked in there and saw a mule deer on the way in. I didn't try to take that one because it was a little bit dusky, and it's a good thing I didn't in a way, the way, way it turned out. And so we got, we camped along the lake, and the next morning we woke up, and we were going to have a fire, and Terry said, no, 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 come on, get your pack, let's go. Don't you hear that, that elk bugle? Come on. Well, I never heard the elk bugle at all. I said, no, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, come on, come on. So we went up these little shelves, like alpine shelves, you know what those mm-hmm. are like. And I kept thinking, okay, well, I'll humor him, we'll go, but, you know, we're not going to see any elk. So we go over this ridge, and I thought, we're not going to see an elk here. And we looked over, and there was a bull elk. 
And he shot the first time. It didn't go off. His gun was fired. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe I'm going to have to shoot. And then, then it went off, and he did bag that elk. So I, I refer to it as Terry, he bagged an elk that bugled a tune that only he could hear. So that kind of started this lifelong thing with Terry McCoy. Now, the next year, he, he flew for elk as a work-study student at the University of Montana. And the next year, he and I were going to go up to Big Salmon Lake. Have you been? Big, you, your friends were at Big Salmon, and yes. you were waiting to come out. And so I was waiting for him to come down, you know, finish up his flight and radio call, track all these elk up in the sapphires, not far from Azula there. And so I was waiting for him at the forestry building at the University of Montana because we were going to leave the next, that morning after he got back. I was going to be on the flight, but the aeronautical champion aircraft that they got was just a two-seater. They had to switch seats, switch uh, planes. And so that morning, he didn't show up. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I said, oh. So I called the professor, Dr. Reem, I said, Terry didn't show up, what's going on? And he, so he called the airport, and their plane never came back. So then that started this whole process of searching for that plane. And, uh, and, and then uh, they finally saw it. It went in so steep. They finally saw it from the air, although we were on the ground search. And they dropped four smoke jumpers on it. It had already been there now for 36 hours, so we, you know, and smoke jumpers found no life, so my, my friend was killed on that flight. And so that began a, a long thing where I had a long wilderness life. I had, was lucky to will, do all these studies in there. You know, I en ended up getting my master's in doing fisheries work in there. And uh, Terry never had a chance to do that. Mm -hmm. So I had this long wilderness life. He had a very short wilderness life. And that kind of is a lot of the theme of the book. And <clears throat> when I asked um, John McLean, who is the author of, the author of uh, a, a new book called, uh, anyway, it's about the the Blackfoot River. Of course, his father, Norman McLean, wrote mm -hmm. River Runs Through It. I asked him to, to review the book for me. And, you know, you think, oh, he'll probably never do it. Well, he did it. And it's in the first page of the book. <laughs> and he kind of capsulized that whole thing in a few sentences. He's a beautiful writer, you know. And he, as he said, the, the events were glorious. And we went to, you know, winter, summer. We went on all these crazy, crazy trips, he said. And the, the death was brutal. I mean, you know, he's a guy that... Worked for the Chicago Tribune for 30 or 40 years. I mean, he's a terrific writer. And his new book, Home Waters, that's it. It came out a couple years ago. That's a great book. So he kind of encapsulated that. So if you pick up the book and just read his endorsement of the book, that, that, that paragraph, that's pretty much a great summary of that mystical part of it. So that's kind of my answer, long answer to that question. You got one more. We got room for probably one more before the next segment. Oh, gosh. Okay. On that note, we've talked a lot about memory. You write that you believe the human spirit longs to be remembered and memory is so temporary and fleeting. How would you like to be remembered? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm too young to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next. There we go. I don't know. What if I asked you that? What would you say? I would hope that I've led an intentional life. Hmm. I've been kind to those hmm. around me and that I left the world a little better than I found it. Wow, that's a lot better answer than I did. <laughs> John, I just really enjoyed this book, and I am looking forward to diving into more of the stories. You discussing your friendship with Terry and kind of living this large wilderness life, kind of in memory of him, was, mm -hmm. was really beautiful, and Ooh. having that kind of bookend both parts of the story, I'm looking forward to talking more about it. Well, thanks. And a big part of the book is searching for meaning about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I go back in and find the plane crash again and try to search for meaning there. I go back to where he shot the elk, search for meaning there, his monument up on the hill. So 
it all it all sort of steers our way into the book. So next time, we'll be you'll be talking to me about all the little studies and different things I did in there. And you've already read the whole book. Which I did. I, I'm impressed. It's really hard to get <laughs> people to read a whole book like that. And so we'll do that next time. So that's all the time we have for this edition of the Nature Journal. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm John Fraley with Morgan Ray, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.